of Scotland to the spiritual splendor that is Augusta. Grab a seat, grab a glass, and punch your ticket to the power train. All right, and we are back with another special par train here. So we've got Kevin Chappell hopping on the par train for the first time. What's up, Chap? How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We're good. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, enjoy the uh, off-season. Happy to uh, be on your show. Yeah, you're home in Arizona, right? Correct. Awesome. Well, Matt, why don't you give the folks a quick backstory? for people that don't know Chap, and a quick bio before we jump in here. Yeah, Chap, we're just going to kind of run through you a little bit here. Obviously, you grew up in Fresno. Um, you're a Cali, Cali kid. Um, you, you love UCLA. You played at UCLA. Uh, bear down. Uh, you're currently the, the 32nd ranked player in the world. That's uh, 1,161 spots ahead of the Tiger Woods. Um, you won your first PGA Tour event at the Valero this past season. Not only did you win this year, you played in the President's Cup, um, and you've been on tour for many years now. So that's kind of the quick there. Um, you guys are pretty good hype men. I should bring <laughs> you with me. Well, you know, anytime you're ranked over 1,000 spots ahead of the greatest player, arguably, that's ever lived, that's all you really need, right? That, that should be, uh, if I wasn't married, that would be my pickup line. You know I'm ranked 1,000 spots ahead of Tiger Woods, right? Yeah, that's, you, that's pretty good, you, actually. I, you I like imagine that, the looks so. you get in the bar? <laughs> So, chap, just like, you know, 40-yard pitch on the range, let me warm you up a bit. We got a fun question to start it off. So, what is worse? Okay, I got two scenarios for you. Getting a phone call that your kids got arrested for shoplifting in China or your kids going to USC? Going to go with your kids going to USC. Um, <laughs> from the sounds of it, it costs a lot less to uh, get a kid out of China than it does to uh, send your kid to school in Compton, so... Uh, yeah, right. I'm going to go to school in SC. All right, that's fair. And plus, wow. you know, single occurrence versus a four-year thing that could ruin their their lives. So, well said. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, chap. We're going to kind of get into the a little President's Cup here. Kind of pick your brain on a couple things um, and your experience. So, uh, this is kind of a first word question. First word that comes to mind on some specific teammates on the President's Cup. All right. So first word, let's start here. First word that comes to mind when you think of DJ. Athlete. First word that comes to mind, Phil Mickelson. Wow. I'm going wow. Okay. <laughs> Love it. First, uh, Let's go first word, Charlie Hoffman. Partner. I knew it. Love that. <laughs> All right, first word, Kisner. Entertainment. <laughs> there we go. Um, just a few more. First word, Justin Thomas. Trophies. All right, let's think about the captains here. First word, Steve Stricker. Captain. Okay, this next one's going to be tougher. First word, Jim Furyk. <laughs> Captain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first word, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Oh, wow. How about um, good sport? I know it's not one word, but he took That's a lot of heat in the President's Cup and uh, took it all in stride, so. That's, That's pretty going. cool. And for your la for last first word, another player, Jordan Spieth. Mature. Okay. Wow. Kind of moving on here, Chap, how do you compare your kind of some of your top 2017 moments, your your big win this year um, in Texas uh, versus the President's Cup? Kind of those experiences. How would you compare and talk about those? Um, obviously, my win in Texas was great to get that monkey off my back, but, you know, because I did that, that kind of set me up to make the President's Cup team. And 
you know, golf's such an individual sport and 99% of our golf that we play is as a professional, as, as an individual. And so, um, you know, that was a big uh, stepping stone for me in my career. But when I look back on my career, I think that the President's Cup will be kind of the turning point in my career that um, kind of set off some momentum um, yep. forward, um, kind of a jumping off point, not necessarily the win in San Antonio. Yeah, no, that's good. And, you, you know, and you played well. And I think that kind of just kind of jumps into how much does your President's Cup experience motivate you kind of going forward, especially next year to, 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 to make the Ryder Cup in Paris? Yeah, I mean, you, you asked me about Jim Furyk, and, you know, that's why I answered that with captain. He is the captain of that team. Um, yep. When we go to uh, Paris next year, and, uh, you know, every, everyone said the President's Cup's great and the, and the Ryder Cup um, is that much bigger. And, uh, you know, to play in one in Europe, um, in France, with, uh, you know, the crazy soccer fans, the crazy European golf fans, um, it will be um, quite the experience. So I uh, plan on not missing that one. Absolutely. Love it. So, Chab, I'm going to take you to 18 on Sunday at the President's Cup. I'm sitting at home watching, like everyone else, and I had a nice cold Budweiser with me, and I was listening. They had the, uh, the mics by your caddy, Joe, and he says to you, aim at the American flag, right of the flag, slight draw. And I don't know about you, but I visualize like a fucking American eagle flying down your shoulder as you flag hunted on that moment on Sunday. Now, I know you didn't get the result that you wanted on that shot, but talk me through that moment to be in the President's Cup, able to clinch it when your caddy actually says, aim at the American flag. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Well, if I would have thought of it the way you did, I probably couldn't have handled it either. <laughs> yeah, Evan does so, that a little bit. I get excited. What so can I say? I'm glad, so I'm glad it was, it was like a typical conversation between Joe and I. He talks and I don't listen. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to be in that situation, to have a chance to uh, clinch the point was something I wanted um, and, I, and I asked for um, just because of the way things ended on Saturday night. Um, I felt like, there was some unfinished business. Um, you know, unfortunately, only got a half, and, and uh, Leash played a, a played nicely that day. We both played nicely. Uh, probably gave away each gave away too many holes to say we deserved to win um, the both of us. But you know, a draw is great in that situation, and we got the team a half point closer to uh, to winning. Um, but you know, that scenery there on the 18th hole, unique to finish a, a round of golf on a par three. But you know, that backdrop you're aiming at. Um, a building in the New York skyline or an American flag. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's very unique. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a, a fantastic finishing hole. For sure. And I remember watching the press conference after, and I know the media talked a lot about this. So I'm going to ask the question in a way that none of them did. Uh, I felt this fun tension every time DJ answered a question. And I was wondering <laughs> over <laughs> under six and a half beers, for DJ before that presser, because keep me honest here, I don't think there was that much time from when the event ended to that press conference. Like I'm fascinated by how he got to the state that he was in. Well, there was about two hours from. Oh wow, there was okay. From when DJ finished to the presser, because yeah. we, had, we went second, and uh, yeah, DJ got there quickly. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not one to talk because I finished first, and um, 
but I uh, wasn't drinking water, um, right. watching golf there at the end of the day. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, that's all a bit gray for me as well. Um, but uh, I have heard DJ um, was excited to be in that press conference. That's, yeah, that's it about, right there. <laughs> how about how about the bug calling you out in the presser, though? I mean, I if I had to take you or Berger this year, I would say I'd take you because of the the fire that he lit under you for not getting that clinching point. I like that motivation. That's a, you know, Boog, uh, Boog got the job done, and I can uh, I can't fault him for that. And I, I like the uh, the subtle jab he threw. Uh, <laughs> definitely will motivate me, and uh, you know, might might not play in his favor uh, moving forward if he and I come down uh, the stretch together. I like that. So. My last fun question with the President's Cup, then I'll ask you a serious one. Uh, Siwoo shaking that ass. Uh, can you tell me a bit about how this came about? I mean, a fascinating moment. Just got It's one of those songs you can't get out of your head, you know? It is a, uh, a song you can't get out of your head. The, the fanatics, I don't know how much they showed on television or how much you could hear, but they had some pretty clever songs for the international players and that was one of the songs um that they were singing and uh you know i didn't get to play thursday and so i was on the tee box for everyone teeing off and getting to experience that atmosphere with um three presidents on the tee or former presidents on the tee and and then the fanatics singing songs and um what a uh, what an experience and and uh hats off to the fanatics for um some of their creativity with some of those songs for sure. I'm surprised that's not climbing up the uh, iTunes charts, but I digress. So help me understand what the captains are doing, right? Like, obviously, I know the big part of it is pairings, right? But at some point, you know, they're talking to you and they're figuring out, like, who do you really want to play with? It's also on the older guys, like Phil, when I know, went up to kids and was like, I'd love to play with you. And captains are all aligned on that. Like, I know that Furick now is you know, going to be the captain for not two years leading up. Same with Stricker. Like, do you have, can you help us understand what, what they're doing that really make an impact of the end result? Or is it pretty much just making you guys feel comfortable to play your best? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. I think that was part of, part of the biggest um, shocker to me was how much they do and how much time um, is put into that side of it. And, uh, you know, you have your traditional, I guess what have now become traditional teams, are successful, you know, your Spieth and Reed, your uh, Cooch and DJ. Um, I think now you'll see Ricky and JT play together in those things um, or in these events a lot. But so, so you have those that you kind of know are set um, just because of the success they've had in the past. And then, um, you know, Azinger kind of brought forth in these team events, the pods, uh, we called ours fire teams. And, uh, you know, yep. we, had, we had those. They wanted us to be comfortable with everyone. I think that's what you saw in it in our team is that we all got along so well and really are friends and, and, uh, you know, really enjoy playing with, um, one another. And so it didn't matter who you got paired with, you were going to adapt and, and, uh, and go out and play. And so they, for the most part, they kept us in our, uh, in our pods, but, um, they, on Tuesday, they, Tuesday night, they told us they were going to switch it up a little bit. And then that's what they, that they changed kids. And I were originally going to play together, Charlie and, and Charlie and Phil were going to play together because um, we were all in different pods, and then they switched it up, and, and obviously you got the Phil kids pairing and me and Charlie pairing. Yeah, because I know this didn't get a lot of play, so you know I'm just going to throw it out there, but I saw Phil and Strick tickle each other 
on their way out of the press conference. So I assume that was happening all week. <laughs> I don't know about the, uh, the tickling or what went on behind closed doors besides what happened in my room. but uh, <laughs> It's it team camaraderie, right? <laughs> definitely a laid-back atmosphere and, uh, and uh, very happy-go-lucky. That's good. And, and, you know, Chap, as we're kind of moving in here, like we talked about captains there and, you know, and Tiger obviously, you know, being a presence there with you guys and assistant captain. So, you know, we kind of, you know, kind of want to ask you a few things about Tiger. Um, Tiger really seems to make the effort to spend time with a lot of the younger players on tour, kind of the new generation of stars, including yourself. Um, I guess, you know, you know, not to spend too long in it, but what, what have you learned from Tiger just being around him from, you know, personally or golf and those things? Um, so Tiger's always been great to me. Um, I don't know if it's our connection with Nike or what, but, you know, he's always been very open um, and very conversive with me. Uh, my first experience with him was actually at Liberty National um, in 2011. It was my second year on tour. We get paired together. Sure. Second to last group, the final day, when he goes, when he was battling through that injury. And um, just to hear, like, that he's a real guy and, and loves to banter, loves to talk shit and, uh, yeah. you know, and just be one of the guys, you know, that's, it's actually very comforting and uh, shows you that he just, he, despite his accomplishments and where he is in the, in the uh, spectrum of athletes in the world or in, as a celebrity in the world, he just really wants to be a normal guy. And, right. uh, you know, I think he projects that in those team atmospheres. It's, it's a comfortable um, setting where, you know, it's the, 16 of us and our wives are significant others. And so it's comfortable. And, uh, you know, you really got to see that. Um, I got a, a glimpse of it at Liberty national 11 and you really got to see it, um, you know, at the president's cup. And, uh, and even when I did a clinic with him a week later, you know, I got to spend some time with him at, at Monterey Peninsula and, you know, even saw more of it, um, just cause it was just, he and I was a little more intimate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that, that, that clinic had to be a great fun experience. I mean, kind of anything you could maybe share a little bit more about that experience, kind of being with him, kind of working the crowd, being on the range. Yeah. Tell us about the track. Tell him about Tiger's track and that penetrating flight and the power. I want to hear all the details. All right. So let me start with how that came about. So that came about, um, maybe the week before the president's cup, um, some of his people that run that his event there, which is phenomenal, by the way, for for the uh, his foundation. But um, they called and said, you know, Tiger's not hitting balls yet. We know you're from Northern California. Would love to have you do the clinic with him. Um, you know, you're going to hit shots. Tiger's just going to kind of MC, real fun, laid back, quick trip. Um, you know, we'll fly you in and out. Um, think it'd be great for you. And uh, so, you know, my uh, that came across my you know, came, came to me and I was like, yeah, happy to do it. You know, Monterey's a, it's close to where I grew up. And, um, you know, I figured I would know uh, a few people there and, you know, anytime Tiger's asking you to do something, you need to look hard at it and, uh, and right. probably answer. Yeah. But, uh, so <laughs> comes about, I get there. Um, I guess that was on a Monday. I was on a Tuesday. I got there Monday night, watched Monday night football, um, had a glass of wine or two, didn't see Tiger, but saw, you know, a few people in his event, kind of small talk, wake up the next day and uh, go have breakfast with Tiger. And so we're just small chatting, catching up for the week. Like, how you feeling? He's like, I'm feeling good. And sure. I was like, all right, so what are we going to do here in this clinic? Like, I'm going to hit some and you're going to, you're just going to MC. And he's like, no, I'm going to hit some too. 
<laughs> and let me, let me remind you, I was with him seven days earlier, eight days earlier, and he was telling us he couldn't hit a 60 yards. Right. Right. The president's cap. So we're, I was like, oh, okay. You know, so. <laughs> Sounds good, like, man. <laughs> awesome. You're, you're feeling good, huh? And he's like, yeah. So uh, we go out there and they introduce us. And fortunately, the MC was, uh, his name is Danny Conway, who introduced us. And he's he's on Tiger's board as the foundation. But Danny is a, uh, is a Bruin. And uh, I was. I lived across the hall from his, uh, his brother Topher, um, in school. So we kind of, he knows me. And so he hyped me up and beat tiger down a little bit. So That's awesome. that was, uh, quite, that was quite humorous, but, uh, so we start hitting shots and you could, you could hear the strike and it was nice. You know, I was like, oh. so I'm thinking to myself the whole time, you know, you're only like six days into hitting balls. It sounds like this, huh? And so we start, <laughs> he starts talking about hitting shots and, this is what I do to shape it. This is what I do to hit it high, hit it low. So he starts hitting one. So he hits one. He hits one high. I hit one. It goes a little higher. And he's like, oh. And uh, so then he hits one low, and I hit one equally as low. And so he's like, oh, one of these. Uh, it's gonna be one of these uh, clinics. I see. So then he, the wind's blowing like 20 off the right. So then he hit the cut shot that's like dead straight, but it was pretty impressive because the wind's blowing so hard off the right. right. So I hit one and it falls. It falls a little left, and he's like. Not bad, you know. He kind of like him haws at it. So then just, he's like, "All right, can you get this one?" And he aims sixty yards right, and he's like, "You're gonna, you have to start it over there at that tree, and it has to land right of that flag." And it was like this big sixty-yard hook, and I'm like, "Sure, let's try it." <laughs> so he hits it, and he hits it to like three feet. Are, like, are you serious? Okay. Yeah, I'm like, okay. Um, th- that's when I really started questioning how many, either how good he is, and or Maybe he's been practicing a long, little longer than uh, yeah. what we've been told. And, and he's uh, just and he's so just I, talking shit to you, right? <laughs> pretty much, it's very laid back, and he kind of you know he gives it his little sarcastic laugh, like "gotcha." And uh, right. sure enough, I didn't I didn't execute the shot, and uh, <laughs> and that was kind of enough said. Um, and then uh, we started hitting four irons, and uh, we were it was you know same wind and. It's hard to tell how far they're going or relative to each other, but I mean, his ball sounded great. He was um, changing heights and uh, changing wow. spins wonderfully. And uh, but then he he did he did before we started the clinic say he couldn't hit any drivers. We got to hitting drivers, and he basically just started answering questions and told me to hit a few drivers, and uh, and that was the end of it. But um, that's awesome. Him progressively, uh, you know, I'm as big a fan of the game as anyone, and you know, I look forward to. Uh, obviously getting to compete against him um, in the Bahamas next week, but also getting to see how he's playing and where his game is. That's awesome. So let me ask you this, because Tiger is, everybody talks about Tiger, right? But he's arguably the greatest player of all time. He went through a period where, you know, everyone talked about his chipping yips and how he's fallen to over a thousand in the world. So I'm curious from your standpoint, do you work hard like what drives you? Do you work hard to be great or do you work hard a little bit because you're afraid to lose it? Um, it's a good question. You know, when I, uh, turned professional, I, I uh, kind of said I was going to get all I had for till I was 40 years old. And so I was 19 years from when I turned pro and I was going to work as hard as I could. And, and if I could look myself in the mirror at 40 years old, I would, uh, I probably wouldn't have to play golf anymore if I didn't sure. want to. I still, I still could, but I wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what drives me. Um, not necessarily, you know, those scenarios you painted, but so I'm self-driven. 
that's my goal. I'm 31 years old now, and uh, so I got nine years left to uh, give it all I have, and and we'll see when I have that conversation with myself when I'm 40 years old if I want to keep playing or, or if I want to play less of a schedule or if I want to coach baseball, or you know whatever it is I want to do. But um, you know that's kind of how I've been motivated, self-motivated, and and so I break it down to basically I got to get better every day, and so whether right. that's whether that's uh, you know I learned to hit a new shot today or. I can justify getting better by, uh, you know, I drank six, I drank six beers tonight instead of drinking eight, you know, so <laughs> it's, just, it's all about how you twist it. For sure. And you're actually one of the only people I've heard that, that says that besides Rory actually talks about that a bit where he says he, he sees players playing less and, and leaving the game a little bit younger. So that's interesting that you say that too. Listen, our generation, I'm going to include myself in some of the, with some of these young guys, but let's just say under 35, eh, shoot, I mean the 35, yeah, 35 and under, have played for more money than anyone has ever played for. Yeah. Um, you know, throughout their careers. And, and thanks you know, to Tiger, you know, in a lot of ways. Thank, yeah, it is. Thank you to Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. And, you know, that generation um, has brought, in, you know, golf to the forefront and the spotlight and brought in, um, brought sponsors to the game that we never had but guys don't necessarily need to grind it out anymore um right you know when you get into your your, your mid-40s and you know it's, you, i think that's when you see um why guys really play the game and sure you know at times at times you know golf is i really enjoy it but golf is a, is a uh, is my job and everyone has bad days at work so um <laughs> you know it's all about you know, managing those and, and trying to limit them so my final Tiger question for you: His arms in person intimidating or inspiring? Um, I guess I look at him as like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dude. I know he's not going to um, three thirty because of his biceps. Let me tell you, right. but the guy right. is in phenomenal shape. Um, he yeah. is, he is fit to the eye and. He's always wanted to. He's always wanted to be an athlete, you know. So it's kind of part of his DNA. I think he accomplished that. I mean, his waist must be a twenty-eight. I mean, <laughs> That's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about. We're always interested. I think every golf fan is interested in life on tour, right? It's a crazy thing. You guys are traveling all over the place. I was curious, considering your life on tour now since oh eight oh nine, knowing what you know now. What would you tell yourself back when you turned pro? Um, honestly, it'd be like, be patient. Um, I've been fortunate that I've never taken a step backwards in my career. Um, yep. You know, I went from having no status to Monday qualifying to status on the web.com to having a PGA Tour card to keeping a PGA Tour card to each year I finished, you know, ahead of the, last, the previous year in the FedEx Cup. It, you know, to getting a, in the top 50 in the world, to um, to winning a golf tournament, to playing Presidents Cups, whatever it is, and I've done that in a very like sequential order, and not as fast as I thought it would happen, but it's all kind of happened, and and I've been very fortunate to uh, to have all that stuff happen to me. But um, you know, it's so cliche to say stay patient, but you know, if I since I did stay the stay the course and and stay true to what I believed in and, and what I wanted to work on, I, you know, I've been able to accomplish those things. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting what you're talking about. And, you know, Matt Kuchar talks a lot about natural progression 
kind of, you know, you've, you've really improved over your career, you know, um, making more cuts, some really high top finishes kind of early on, you were making the tour high major finishes. Then, you know, you finally got your win in your president's cup. I, I guess can maybe kind of talk about that journey a little bit. Is it your belief that gets stronger? You know, is it managing that second round game when it's not quite there to still make the cut? Cause you, you, you made, you're making more cuts, um, to obviously to go along with all your success. And then I guess talk about what was going through your mind, you know, on, uh, with your win on that Sunday when you shot 68 against Brooks Kepka, the Valero. Um, yeah. So, the, I mean, the natural progression of the game is I think one we all battle and we all kind of go through it at, at our own pace and our own rate, right? You see these guys that the Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas is that have so much success so early on, um, right. you know, you know, I look at a guy like Matt Kuchar, he's a journeyman. He's been up and down once um, from web.com to the PJ tour, back to web.com, back to the PJ tour. And, uh, but he's, you know, he's a perennial top 20 player in the world now, and he's true to himself. He's never going to do something that, um, or try to do something he can't do. Um, everything about him is unorthodox, but he, uh, he will flat out go out and compete and try and beat your ass. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think that's, a, that's something I can learn, um, and, and have learned from is that it doesn't matter what it looks like or, um, even what it feels like it's a, at the end of the day, it's about shooting a low score. And, uh, you know, so when you went on a Friday afternoon, when you're going to finish on the front nine of a golf tournament and feel like you're not even a part of it. Um, but you birdie the last two, the last three to make the cut by one. And, and you've given yourself another chance and, uh, sure. to, to move up the leaderboard on the weekend. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, um, important to, uh, have tournaments that you salvage when you don't have it. And uh, I think that's one thing I've learned is that, um, you know, limit mistakes. If, as long as I'm, I've learned I'm talented enough that if I can stay present, stay um, in a golf tournament, stay in a round, that I'm going to have my run. And, uh, you know, it's a matter of, like, waiting out that run and knowing it's going to come. And you, you'll have that magical hour, whether that's every day or magical round in a, in a tournament that kind of um, keeps you in it. Yeah, and, and coming down the stretch there on Sunday at the, uh, the Valero, I mean, you, you've won so many tournaments in your career as a junior, as an amateur, and things like that. Were you kind of, a, you know, not? and you've been in these positions before, but, what, you know, how were you, how were you channeling some of your kind of your past successes and talent um, and just kind of letting it happen? I think that's just interesting for you to talk about for some of our listeners. Yeah, so I'm sorry I didn't answer that part of the last question. but no, That's uh, okay. So that, I mean, you hear this all the time when people have a breakthrough that, you know, they were so calm and they were so, um, everything was so clear and it really yeah. was that day. Um, I kind of felt like I was in control the whole day and, uh, and it was mine to win. Um, I, uh, what did I make bogey on 15 and, uh, to fall back, um, into a one shot lead. And, uh, I told, I told my caddy, I said, we're the only, I think I finished at 13 under. I said, we're the only one that can finish at 13 under. Or maybe it was 12. We're the only ones that can finish at 12 because they were one shot back. Tony Finau and Brooks were both one shot back playing 18. And at the time when I was on 16, I said, we're the only ones that can finish at 12 under the whole, no one was going to get there that day. And two, um, even those two guys, it, w- it would be a struggle and the pin was in the back of the green. So th- likely wasn't going to give up an Eagle. So mm-hmm. with them only having one, one hole to play, we're the only ones that can get to 12 under. And Joe's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So we get three chances. 
we can get three looks at it coming in. Um, you know, odds are I'm going to make one of the three. So that immediately set a goal, and uh, we tried to go accomplish that goal, right, to just get three looks and see what happens. So hit a great shot in the 16. I actually thought it was closer to the hole than it was. It was, like, right on line, and one of those shots that the closer you got to the green, the closer the ball got away from the hole. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you're yeah. like, damn it. I got a really you have a 20-footer, but it looked like it was two feet. Um, so, you know, just missed a 20-footer. And then 17 is a unique hole there. It's a drivable hole, um, real goofy green, you know, three tiers, and you got to get it on the right spot. Um, and I hit it, you know, on the right fringe. and But really didn't have a play to hit it close in two. I could have chipped it. It was off a tight lie, basically chipping it off the green. And, uh, you know, downwind, and if you miss hit it, you can miss the green. And so basically Joe, my caddy Joe and I we made – I made a good decision and said, well, why don't we stick to the plan and just try and get a look? So I hit a, I hit, I hit a putt and just didn't hit it hard enough. So the slope took it really far left and give, I had a 15 footer, you know, another good look and, you know, just missed that one. And, you know, 18, um, I had been in that situation there before, uh, right. in two, I guess it was a 10. Um, and when I, when Britain Steele won and, um, so it's a tee shot I'd hit before into the same, circumstances something i was comfortable with knew i wasn't going to get there so i didn't have to smash it so i just kind of hit something out of the heel a little heel cut out there in the fairway laid it up um further that saturday than i did further than i did on saturday saturday i laid up almost in the hazard and uh and so i made sure we made sure to hit it further down there and uh, it just had a good number and and when i hit the wedge shot it looked a little long to me and, and then the crowd reacted a little goofy and then you know, now that I've seen the highlights, the ball got into the back fringe and spun and, and uh, you know, it was a good look. And um, and one that – it's a putt that off, gets often made um, on Sunday there. You Charlie Hoffman made it the year before to, to win. So I kind of knew the read. And, and uh, you know, I, I just told myself to hit as good a putt as I could and uh, and see what happens. And, you know, I did. And it was uh, online the whole way. And, and then, uh, you know, you got to see um, – kind of a, a raw reaction to um, a bunch of close calls for sure. Yeah. No, that's a good, thanks for kind of running through that. It's pretty cool. It was a great moment to watch. And obviously, like you said, it's monkey off the back and you know, you're going to keep it going. And now he's an American hero. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy's really moving up there. So let me, let me ask you, I know it's all about routine, right? So can you walk us through your current routine, your practice routine, maybe a drill or a swing thought or something in your game whether it's mental or whatever that you think has changed your game or elevated it slash you spend the most time on that some hackers out there can, can benefit from? It's a good question. Um, so for me currently, as I'm doing this podcast, you know, the focus is on is getting the short game better. Um, Are you yeah, putting right distance now? Wedges to chipping and putting. <laughs> I'm not, I probably should though. Yeah, you should. Um, Although then you couldn't drink, so we we urge you to to get a beer. I don't know if you end up getting one. No, no beers yet. It's only uh, it's two thirty on a on a uh, Tuesday holiday. Week. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm too week, deep. So I'm too deep. Uh, so it's cool. Sorry, relax, go ahead. Relax, Ev. You might have a problem. You need a <laughs> um, so yeah, no. you know, I have a focus, I have a focus for the off season, and uh, you know I I, uh, I found a lot of distance last year off the tee and. Uh, I broke down my year statistically. I didn't take advantage of that. Um, being closer to the hole didn't necessarily equate to making more birdies. And there was uh, two 
reasons for that. I didn't wedge it as well as I can or well as I have in the past. And I didn't, uh, when I did wedge it well, I didn't convert putting. So um, just really focused on getting the ball in the hole. Um, yeah. I uh, purchased a track man, which is something I kind of swore I would never have, but hmm. it's not for the sake of, it's of, it's good. <laughs> it's not for the sake of the uh, numbers with the golf swing. It's more of the tracking the golf ball and how far it's going. So mm-hmm. I've created some, some of my own, um, I guess let's call them tests or co- on track man, they're called combines um, to challenge my wedge game and my iron play. And then, uh, you know, I, my goal for the year um, putting it is to create a plan and stick with it for the 25 tournaments I play. So yeah. never change, never change putters, never, um, you know, change way I'm practicing, kind of stick to the process and see if at the end of the year that the results show up or yeah. you know, after totaling everything up, if you see the improvement. Um, I think one thing I, I can do, especially with putting, is um, you, know, you have a bad day, you blow it up, and you try something new. And, uh, you know, for someone that historically hasn't putted it as good as uh, others, um, I need to try something different. And, uh, you know, that's something I believe in and uh, I'm committed to. So, Yeah, no, that's good. And, and, and Chap, you, you kind of have a mixed set of clubs with your equipment. Um, and how often are you – which is great. I think more players are kind of doing that these days. I think because you're trying to cater to, you know, your style for your wedge game and your long irons and things like that. Uh, how often are you testing clubs maybe a little bit throughout the season or what's it been like for you? I need to answer that question honestly because I don't even really know what I'm playing at the moment. I, I just had to uh, think to put some <laughs> thought into that. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, I play TaylorMade Woods and uh, a Tideless Golf Ball and uh, – a Scotty Cameron putter, and that's what I'm committed to, and yep. uh, I will play for sure um, this year. As far as uh, irons and, and wedges, um, I'm still looking to find something to replace the, the Nike stuff I played, and uh, have played some other stuff in competition um, yep. last year and as of late. And uh, you know, still not sold on anything, but have uh, worked with a few manufacturers and. And have really tried to enjoy the experience as much as I can. Um, Absolutely, you know, it's unique in our business that you're a free, you're a free agent and you get to uh, test things. It's it's fun, but it's also um, difficult because you you know you hit a bad shot and it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you kind of can be overwhelming too, right? All the yeah. options. <laughs> so uh, my garage, uh, my wife's not too happy with my garage right now with uh, the equipment. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, you know, I'm going to – I've always said I, I'm going to play what's best um, for me. And, uh, you know, right now that's uh, still playing Nike Irons and, uh, you know, the Taylor Made Woods and uh, Scotty Cameron Potter and the Palace Ball. So. Cool. Speaking of your garage, where the hell do you put all those balls that you get rid of after you make a birdie? You know, <laughs> that question needs to be asked to Joe because um, he – He's selling them on eBay? Them they must fund his golfing, his uh, golfing addiction. Oh sure. I don't know where they. You know, and that's okay. No, he's, not, he's got. He's not really I gotta say, Joe's got a solid swing. I saw it at Sawgrass. Joe, Joe does have a solid swing. He uh, he played in Canada for a few years, and sure. uh, we, we played golf recently um, at Whisper Rock here in Arizona, and uh, played with another or two other pros. And Joe was the uh, low man in the group. I will say. Mm, wow. All right, let me ask you this. I know a lot of people ask, like, what's the craziest story you've heard on tour? So let me rephrase that in a more fun way, because that's what we do here. 
you are 41 years old with your boys on tour. I'm sure you got a group of guys that you like to have a few beers with after after a round, maybe on a Sunday like night. You're staying over. I know this podcast has been old, but or has been long, but did I just age 10 years in in the podcast? You you have. <laughs> so this is some some inception shit. We're going in the future. Okay. You're 41 years old. You've been retired one year. Okay, you you were following your plan of ending your play at 40, and the other guys did as well. So you've got your buddies on tour. You're at a nice fire pit. You're all retired. You got a nice stogie, maybe some scotch. Who knows? And you're talking about how dumb you used to be. What's the probably the story that you guys are talking about? You don't need to throw out names, but what is that story around the fire? Wow. You got anything for us? I know I'm putting you on the spot. How dumb I used to be. I mean, I, the web.com tour was way more fun than the PJ tour. Yep. Um, I, I met my wife shortly after securing my PJ tour card um, on the web.com tour. So, you know, I had uh, 10 months of, nine months of fun traveling with a buddy and uh, doing some strange things. And, um, <laughs> you know, one, one thing that comes to mind that's pretty clean and, and, I wouldn't be embarrassed if my kids um, ever heard this. Was uh-huh. We decided to drive from Columbus, Ohio, to Omaha, Nebraska. It was me, my caddy, oh. who was a college roommate of mine at UCLA, Brandon Christensen. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Williamson, he caddies for Bud Colley now. At the time, he was working for Jonas Blix. And Brandon DiStefano, who at the time was working for Colt Nost and last worked for uh, Andres Gonzalez. And we we, get, we literally gambled on anything and everything. And uh, so we're driving. We're somewhere in the middle of the U.S. And we decide that we're going to see who can stand the longest with the heater on. Or, or basically who would who would tap out first. So we turn the heater on as hot as it could go. Wow. And we're just driving in the heat. And so, you know, quickly clothes start coming off. And so pretty soon there's four of us in our boxers in this you know, Jeep SUV driving through the middle of America. Like, <laughs> you know, the guys that aren't driving are drinking beers, and, uh, you know, it's warm beer by now. And, uh, you know, that someone, uh, you know, it's probably a $20 bet. Someone, you know, had to pay everyone $20. And so just stupid things like that. Or um, I think we stopped in um, at the Isle Capri, which is a casino in, uh, that's right near where the John Deere's played. And uh, pretty sure I got, uh, stopped from gambling that night. Um, sure. Maybe been over uh, as one does. And, Took uh, a break. Yeah. yeah just, just, I needed a timeout. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that trip um, itself um, probably ended at a strip club somewhere along the sure. way. And uh, yeah, yeah, that that type of stuff would be would definitely be up there. There's a few stories that I probably mm. shouldn't tell and, and won't. Right. But, uh, but oh, that's good. one that is, is fairly clean and I'm not too embarrassed by. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about those off air. That, that's no problem. I've actually played yeah. that same game. I'm a Midwest guy from St. Louis, so summer and the uh, humidity, put those bun warmers on, high heat. It's tough to keep yeah. those windows up, I tell you what. I'm just glad we never got pulled over. That would have looked weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, some explaining to some, some explaining to do. <laughs> um, Chap, I mean, now like now that you've kind of you, you've really created some great success and fame for yourself, you know, you're, we're telling funny stories here, but like, let's be honest, you're, you and a lot of the guys you're covered day in and day out by the media and media has changed with social media. So, you know, what comes to mind when, you know, you, stories are getting written about you or some of the other guys, what does the media really get wrong when they're covering you guys? Or 
you know, we can bet that a lot of the media aren't maybe the best golfers, but what are some of the things that just kind of turn you off? Or what should know? they cover more of? Yeah. Um, you know, so just with social media, I think, um, you know, people's personalities get to get sh- or are able to be shown more. Um, sure. You know, because you get to control what, what people see. I think the problem with it is, is that you're kind of at um, the mercy of others' interpretations mm-hmm. of what you're posting, what you're saying on social media. And so, you know, things like sarcasm get lost um, through through social media and, and uh, everything gets taken so literal, um, which is right. you know, sarcastic. So um, that's frustrating for me. As far as the golf goes, um, yeah, I think a lot of writers or, or um, talking heads tend to forget what it's like to hit shots and uh, what it's like to grind out a score and, and, and that golf is a, uh, a difficult game. And uh, you know, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it's, it's trying and, and uh, some days it's, when it's good, it's really, it seems really easy. And when it's hard, you're, you're questioning whether you uh, you'll ever find it again. So um, I think people lose sight of that, um, that even as professionals, we kind of have those ups and downs and, and we are human beings and, and have um, raw emotional feelings. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Like I said, it's, it, the personalities do come through a little bit on social media when you use them the right way. You know, I think uh, it's it's cool for the fans. Um, yeah, what would Joe do Wednesday? You know, we love it. That's why you're on the show. <laughs> yeah. We love your personality. Um, yeah, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> I got a question for you later about those pro-amps, but I'll let Sarah ask this next one. Yeah, um, Jeb, one thing I wanted to ask you, I, I played in college at Missouri State. Um, I didn't play professionally. Um if you could kind of sum up, sum up one or two key differences between a top collegiate player, which you were at the absolute top, um, in, in the top amateur ranks, versus a tour player that that cracks the one one twenty five, and and you know about cracking the one twenty five on the number, what? Because yeah. I know so many good players, you know, that, that never did anything, and, and what is that about? Um, you know, I think it comes to, so one thing. My biggest. The hardest thing I, I had to go through was managing time. And sure. you know, when you're in college, or even when you're in college at Missouri State, you, someone accounted for probably 18 hours of your day. You know, right. Whether it was class, practice, workouts, study hall, whatever it was, you know, you had a lot of a lot of your time was accounted for. And when you yep. turn professional, or when you're not, you know, part of a team anymore, all of a sudden you have 24 hours, and you need to get everything done, and no one's doing it for you. You got to do it yourself. Yep. So, you know, from major structure to, oh, man, I got all the time in the world, and all of a sudden I feel like I can get nothing done. And, uh, you know, so that was my first growing pain was like, all right, I need to do all these things. I need to be in the gym. I need to practice. I need to make sure I'm eating well. I need to be social. Um, cause you got to have a balance, too, like you said, social, right. because you can't – you'll grind yourself out. Correct. And so for me, that's important. But um, – so that, that was my first thing I went through. But the biggest difference, I'd say, golf-wise, um, is just the discipline. Um, there's nothing that kills rounds of golf or tournaments like three putts, penalty shots, bogeys inside 150 yards, and sixes on par fives. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to look at um, a PGA Tour player, uh, a successful PGA Tour player, they're doing that a lot less than a college player. Um, you know, let's just call those unforced errors. And, and uh, you know, if you can – um, keep just that category itself off off of a score court, uh, the scorecard for 72 holes. You're probably going to be in contention, um, no matter what you do on the other holes. And uh, you know, I think that's um, that'd be the biggest difference. Yeah. 
Part, you got to so, take advantage of those par fives. I mean, it's it, it's simple, but it's so true. You know, I mean, Cermak, Cerm and I's mutual best friend used to beat Scott Langley in junior golf in Missouri all the time. The guy's selling insurance. Scott's, you know, playing professional golf. Got to throw his name out there, you know. That's why he's asking for our boy Rye. Right. Oh, thanks, Chap. Video name drop, huh? Yeah. So uh, I got a real talk for a second, okay? This this question I've been wondering for a long time. So I'm going to take you through another scenario. I'm a big scenario guy. Let's say, you know, I, I, li- I know you like to play that draw. So let's say you get a little bit over the top. You snap hook the shit out of it. Well, let's say you look down at the ground. This is the most common move of a pro, right? You look down at the ground. You look at the club face. You're a little confused. Like, is that an act? Or you, like, actually freaking out a little bit inside like the rest of us? Like, how the hell did that shot just happen? Or is something actually happening from the ground to the club face that just caused a 40-yard hook? Okay, so the, gra- the ground look is like, oh, I'm looking at the divot. What did the divot look like? Well, okay. Um, Always tells the know, story. <laughs> if, if you're, yeah, but I think uh, I mentioned Trackman earlier. I think that's disproved that, but that's another story. But anyway... Um, so people look at the divot and then they look at the face, like, was, was there something on the face or something in between the ball and the, the face? Okay. Um, but I'd say mostly it's an act. You're just you're being dramatic. Remember, we are entertainers, man. I know. <laughs> oh, I love whoa. it. I love it. I love hearing that. So speaking of entertainment, that is a perfect segue to my final question about life on tour. Mic'd up caddies. So I used to work at the NFL. Mic'd up is a big thing. Uh, let's say Joe knows... Like, obviously, you're not going to do it all the time because you guys are going to talk about whatever, right? And that's infringing on the fun and privacy that you're having out there. But if you know that you have one round every few tournaments or every couple months that Joe's going to be mic'd up and the TV audience can listen into your conversations, why do you think that hasn't happened yet? Uh, I mean, what, what is the positive in it for the player and the caddy? That's all I want to know. I'm going to ask you a question. Mm, well, that's a good one. I like you there, turning it around on me. For us. The pot. There's nothing to gain for the It would be very entertaining. Um, I agree, but you open up a, a can of worms that doesn't necessarily need to be open for mm. the player and caddy, and you kind of uh, intrude on that relationship and, uh, and the privacy that we can Absolutely. have at times. Hmm. Interesting. The one thing I would say to that is it's on the tour – you got to have trust in the tour of what they do with that. Like the reason why it worked with the NFL is because uh, everybody trusted NFL network and films to use what painted them in a positive light. Right. So that's, that's key, but hopefully it would increase popularity of the sport, which could then reflect in higher, you know, paychecks and, and purses. But no, it's, you, it's a fair point. You be the company man? Yeah, I'm a company you guy, you know, well, I, I would, uh, if that's the case that they they are editing out the stuff that makes doesn't portray someone in a positive light, I would love to find the bloopers on the NFL, the uh, the mic'd up bloopers. Yeah, and, well, uh, that I'm makes sure two of us. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's a whole different <laughs> different deal. Um, Chap, we just got a few more things for you. Um, kind of really, what's most important in your golf game and your personal life? So, just real quickly, we want to talk about the majors a little bit with you and your experiences. Um, first, can you kind of talk about 2017 masters experience, you know, having a great weekend, having a great finish at T seven, but also you had your family out there for the par three contest. Kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, really up to the masters 2017 had been a trying year professionally. 
and I really hadn't found any form. Um, had a, my daughter was born in January, into January, and I just speaking from experience when my son was born, um, in 15, um, I kind of had the, the child hangover for a little while. And then, um, once the family started traveling, I, I tend to uh, kind of break out of my funk a little bit. And that was about when they started traveling. Um, yep. and, uh, so the masters was a fun week. Um, having them there, we stayed with the Kisners. Um, mm. we're real close. We, we have kids that are close in age. And so a lot That's of, cool. uh, wine drinking at night and, uh, you know, being parents and, sure. and just relax and, uh, you know, getting to uh, get away from the stress of, of Augusta and uh, and all the uh, hoopla that it is. But, uh, you know, so that was, you know, that, that side of it made it uh, enjoyable. And then to go out and play well um, was great to see my game kind of come into form um, and uh, to play a solid back nine on Sunday to uh, finish what was it, Tiger 7th um, was, uh, was great and really – created some momentum and then you know to go out and win my next event kind of you know showed uh what that did for me mentally yeah no, it's, it's really cool and you know chap you've had some great finishes at the u.s open you've had t23 t10 a t3 um you know pretty impressive what do you think it, it is about the u.s open that maybe seems to fit your eye you know kind of in your career as you're so early in your career but kind of what's led to that success some of that success guys a grinder well, I know that. So, <laughs> actually, it's a good question. I think it gives you a little insight into um, who I am as a person or how I, I look at things. But I've always looked at the majors as, as uh, the person that fucks up less is going to is going to win. Yeah, and sure. in those events, you're you're going to mess up. You're going to make bogeys. Most of the time, you're going to make a double. Um, right. And it's about doing less. And uh, you know, so we're there when you're in trouble about getting out of trouble. Um, and and salvaging and uh, you know so often in PGA, regular PGA Tour events when 20 under par is winning, it's you know you might be out of position and you got to try to score. You got to take on more risk um, to 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 try to get in the golf tournament to try and stay in the golf tournament. And uh, you know so you know just having that attitude's given me um, a little bit more peace of mind, I, I guess in those in those events and yep. and uh, led to some success. No, it's it's pretty cool. I think you're hopefully due to 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 win one of those, if not some of the other majors. It seems like the you know your attitude certainly fits that pretty well. Um, yeah, so just want to talk about the majors because that's what it's about. But um, you know, as we wrap up here, Chap, we just kind of want to talk about a little bit life at home. And I know we've touched on a little bit, but um, just a couple things we want to ask you. Um, um, first thing, as someone who's I grew up playing, and um, I never got into fishing, but a lot of golfers, especially pros. Love to go fishing. I want to ask you why, and is it because of the Zen factor, you know, of getting away and, and having that peace of mind? But I wanted to ask you about some fishing. So I do enjoy fishing. Something I I probably uh, talk about doing more than I actually do. I grew up uh, practicing at a par three course and in, in driving range in Fresno, uh, sure. called River Park. Still there. And, we'll name drop shout there. Out, shout out River Park. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I, uh, they had some lakes on the part three course. And so I would go practice for a few hours and then go bass fish in these lakes. And so that's sure. where I really enjoyed it. And I don't even know if it was fishing, you know, like it, I didn't study how to catch the bass. It was more of these fish were, um, wanting to be caught. No one was fishing them. And, and, uh, so, I mean, even me, the amateur fisherman that I am could catch fish there. And, uh, you know, that's, 
the name of the game. It should be called catching, not not fishing, because uh, a lot of the time you go out there, you don't catch anything. So, right. um, but as a whole, I think you know, golfers are, are outdoorsmen. We're outdoors a lot. And, you know, we have that in common um, with the you know the sports like hunting and fishing. Um, I would uh, love to fish more. Love to have a better understanding of it. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's something I try to do. Probably get to do it once a year, but uh, you know, I'm definitely uh, a novice when it comes to that. Yeah, it's something you've been doing for a long time. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and we know that you're a family man. You got two kids, uh, great wife, and I read your uh, your wife's 18 facts. It's on your website. Great website, by the way. Everybody should go check it out. KevinChapel.com. Little plug there. Uh, Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, we we read that you're a big conspiracy theorist i couldn't let this podcast end without hearing your go-to favorite most passionate conspiracy theory do you got one on the ready for us one of my favorites is the uh, denver airport and kind of what what's being hid there and and uh, what all the uh, the subplots behind the, the denver uh, airport <laughs> and I, I am a conspiracy theorist in the sense of I don't think we always hear the true story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not trying to take away lives that have been lost or in some of these uh, traditional conspiracy theories because I know that that's terrible. But I uh, I do become infatuated w- with trying to figure out what the truth is. And uh, it's uh, I, I've been known to stay up till uh, wee hours <laughs> in the morning watching conspiracy theory videos. And, uh, so chat. Chap, I just googled Denver <laughs> Airport, and this is involving art. Just, oh man! You got, 40, you got 45 minutes. Watch it. There's a good video on, on YouTube about it. That's incredible. I was not expecting Denver Airport hiding art, but hey, I love that. That's cool. just one piece. Of it. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah, the 9/11. There's some there's some entertaining, to say the least, uh, theories there mm-hmm. that you can get into. Um, even. More, more recently, the Las Vegas shootings, uh, which is awful, but um, there have been some pretty out there uh, theories on that that have uh, caught my eye. So, uh, you know, I, I'm more into it and like trying to figure out, hey, what could this possibly have happened? Right. Could this be a motive? More than trying to like disprove or uh, or say that people didn't lose their lives. And again, a good little side passion. Um, chap, we know you're, you're a big charity guy. Um, really you're all your whole life with some of the oncology foundation work, but also with the special Olympics. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about that or kind of what's going on there. Um, yeah, or if you wanted, wanted to mention people can get involved or donate and such. So, so uh, my wife and I have a, a foundation that's called Kevin Chapel's champions for children. Um, we raise money for the oncology department at the uh, Valley Children's Hospital uh, just outside of Fresno, California. And uh, how that kind of came about is they, they approached me, um, wanted to know if we wanted to do something with them or if we could help out. And uh, we were just getting ready to get married, my wife and I, and, and didn't have um, any uh, philanthropic direction or, or any way we were going. And so one Christmas, instead of getting each other stuff, we went to the Toys R Us and, uh, and sent a bunch of toys to the uh, – hospital and we went through every uh they call them wards there we went through every ward and spent some time with the kids and and met some families and heard some stories and um the one place that really hit home for us was was the oncology department um where we were you know we went through there and there was multiple um you know 10 11 12 year olds going through chemotherapy by themselves 
um, because wow. my parents, uh, you know, you know, had nine to five jobs and couldn't afford to uh, not be that, not not go to work that day. And so you're just seeing these courageous kids um, in the holiday season, you know, go through, um, you know, battle battle for their life. And uh, you know that it just we've been fortunate to be healthy, but um, we just wanted to do what we could. And you know, so that's been going on about five years. And you know, we've raised um, about a half million dollars. And, and uh, the giraffe head cover on my golf bag um, on my driver is, is we sell those on my webpage. And you know, it's all proceeds go to the uh, go to the kids in the oncology department um that's great as far as uh as far as special olympics um my godmother michelle carmichael she uh taught special ed at hoover high in fresno california for uh you know 40 years and uh, she had an awesome summer program for the kids and when i was uh out of school out of elementary school my parents didn't know what to do with me they're both working and uh so i would go to her summer program with her and you know they would call it that I'd go work with her, but really I was playing with friends. You know, I'd be eight years old playing with, you know, 16 year olds. Um, and you know, they were my peers. I didn't see them as any different than I am. Um, they could do things that I could do and we would laugh at each other and, and play and, and really, um, just enjoy the, the summer together. And, and so some of my fondest memories as a kid is, you know, going to that summer program with my godmother and, and, uh, but we still tried to uh, help out where we can and, and, uh, you know, we might you might see in the near future um, us turn our focus towards a little bit more of of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm 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 a Chicago guy, and Special Olympics started here in Chicago, and I've done some volunteering myself. Business community is very involved, so it's it's just really cool. Um, I mean, here's, what they're doing, here's the new tagline: what they're doing at the national level. Kevin Chapel, philanthropist, American hero, a thousand <laughs> spots higher on the world ranking than Tiger Woods. Wow. I don't know where you get the American hero from. I mean, it's yeah, I think brain. he just. I just don't know if I'm worthy of it. I mean, you know, you <laughs> you won your first time. You're undefeated in in team play. Team play? I figured it was worthwhile. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. Ev loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love Chap. it. Um, <laughs> but um, two last things, two last questions before we let you go. Um, I'm going first. Chap, give us goals for the 2018 season that you're setting for yourself. One's a goal that I didn't accomplish last year that's a carryover, and that is the low 16-round total in the majors. Ah, mm. I like you, it. You figure that one out. I like that. Okay, last question for you. A lot of podcasts out there get guests on their show that serves them. It's very self-serving. We are a podcast of the people. We're all about our guests. So I'm going to put this on you, Chap. Who do you think on tour would be a fun get? For our next guest on the show, we're all about people like you. We give back, have fun, talk the shit. Who do you think's a good get for us for the next show? You know who I think you'll be surprised um, by and how entertaining they are is Matt Kuchar. Um, okay. He was the most getting to know Matt on a, a little bit more of a personal level at the President's Cup. He is one of the funnier human beings I've ever met, especially for going to Georgia Tech. I mean, you wouldn't expect personality there, but. <laughs> he uh, he's a funny dude, and uh, he's got he would have a lot of good stories. We could um, talk a little ping pong too. Oh, we could talk some ping. He, he is a he's a ping pong connoisseur. I think uh, Harold Barner would be another good good get. Ah, so, I like that. A little, okay. little under the radar. Um, and that's kind of you know compared that's... to Matt Kuchar, but uh, Harold is hilarious. He's lived um, and a hell of a golfer. 
Oh, all right, we'll great. put we'll put Chap to work. A little homework assignment. Bring us cooch. All right, we're cool. All right. Uh, all right. Well, hey, you've been with us for an hour. That's more than a time that we that we planned. But we really appreciate you coming on. This was awesome. Uh, I hope everyone sees how great of a guy you are and, and funny, great personality, and obviously giving back. So we foresee yeah, thank you enough, bright future in 2018. Well, thank Thanks you. so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. And just as the sun rises and sets in Scotland, so too have we come to the end of another Par Train. Be sure to follow us at the Par Train on Instagram and Twitter, and of course subscribe to us on iTunes. And may your glasses always stay full and your ball always end up in the bottom of the cup.